but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> this is some serious flying stuff. Um, have you seen this helicopter story? This, uh, let's see now, it's, uh, uh, it's in, in Oregon. And uh, Mount yeah. Hood in Oregon, which is a pretty big mountain um, there in Oregon, um, s- sort of near Portland, I believe, but uh, not not in, but there. And uh, so uh, uh, a guy got himself. There's a kind of a sad story though behind this, but basically he got himself trapped on top of the mountain and unable to get himself down. Um, and rescuers had to go and get him. And what they decided to do was send this uh, Chinook helicopter to uh, bring him out. Chinook, of course, being the big dual rotor-bladed, uh, you know, fore and aft um, cargo. I, I think of it as a cargo helicopter. I guess it's probably troop transport as well. Oh, it does everything. Yeah, and it's one of these helicopters that has a, a, a lowering uh, ramp on on the back. All right, um, and so uh, this, this and there's a picture here. I'm looking at what am I looking at here? Avweb, um, yeah. and uh, Avweb story. Chinook crew complete dramatic rescue. Um, Mary Grady wrote this story, and uh, um, uh, so they they tried to land the helicopter up on the summit, but apparently the summit was just way too small for this helicopter. So then they did this maneuver that we're seeing a picture of, which I presume is a picture from this actual rescue. Um, but uh, they basically backed the cargo door of the helicopter up to the point on the side of the mo- of the slope of the mountain where the where the uh, the victim and the rescuers are waiting, and and they basically just touch the cargo deck, you know, uh, ramp onto the ground while basically still hovering on this forty-five degree slope, um, and uh, and and the pilot, you know, can't see, so the pilot is being being uh, coached by crew members, um, uh, you know, go this way, go right, go a foot, go left a foot, go forward a foot, go back a foot. And they basically just kind of hover it in to the point where then everybody climbs into the ramp and they, they get them out of there. This is some serious flying. Yeah, it's some serious flying. Um, you know, I can do that with a debonair. <laughs> Once. Once. <laughs> but you can't uh, hover there. Can't hover there. Yeah, well, yeah, right, yeah. So, yeah, uh, I thought it was an interesting term, a pinnacle landing. Yeah. yeah, so apparently this was not a spur-of-the-moment maneuver that they kind of invented in order to rescue this guy. Apparently they, they do this. Um, a, uh, say it again, a pinnacle landing. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, it says, it, familiar to military crews, but rarely, rarely seen in civilian operations. And, oh, and they were up there. That, that, that landing is at 11,000 feet exactly above what I was. On. What I was thinking, man, yeah. and the density altitude of that, and then uh, you know, you look at the geometry of where the ramp is, and the tail rotor, and the people. Yeah. Oh, that's right. The tail rotor motor you got to be pretty close to the. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, if you held up, if you held a, up a loaf it, of French bread, you could have sliced yeah, it. Yeah. Is, is there <laughs> yeah. a plan B here, guys? I mean, really. Uh, this apparently um, was Plan B, but yeah, I get your yeah, point. I get yeah. your point. Yeah, so uh, yeah, the pilot, of course, did his right stuff thing. You know, he says, eh, "Yeah, it wasn't that big a deal." You know, it's like he, the quote is, you yeah. know, "Old-fashioned stick and rudder skills, just flying the aircraft." Yeah, and, and he hasn't stopped shaking. You yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Somebody better have bought him some beers after oh, that was man. over. Yeah, you because know? um, he earned them. That's that's really earned something. his flight pay that day. Yeah, yeah he really did. Uh, this is you know, this is not the same thing, but it's, it puts me in a mind of the uh, 
of the uh, hang on David um, the stole landings that I saw um, at both at Oshkosh um, and that I'd been watching videos of um, people landing out in the middle of nowhere is kind of an interesting um, um, you know uh, uh, activity you know the uh, uh, the uh, there's this guy that Trent Palmer is the YouTuber pilot who is sort of central to me in this, but he's part of a group called the Flying Cowboys. I think I talked to them about them on a different on a previous episode, and I got a chance to see them all fly on my couple of days at, at Air Venture, and uh, they do this all the time, not in snow-covered mountains necessarily because he lives out in the Reno Stead area, but uh, uh, landing on uh, on you know hilltops out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, groups of them, they just go off and have these. They all have their kit foxes and and you know various other big tired tail dragger aircraft, and go out and, and land in crazy places and and uh, get together and ha- do their, you know, they don't do hangar flying. They do I don't know what you call it, summit flying or desert flying or something like that. Um, yeah, I've seen some of those videos of the uh, tundra tired stole airplanes. Yeah. Down at the water's level, leaving twin wakes behind from the tires as they fly along the surface of the... Uh, yeah, and so I wanted to ask you about that, because they're very excited about that. So the this this Flying Cowboys group um, uh, did a series of uh, YouTube videos going both to and from Oshkosh. And uh, one of the shots that they liked to show in these videos repeatedly was as they're cruising along, you know, and they're not very high to begin with, all right? And, and they would often drop down and skim across the top of a body of water of some sort. It strikes me as being wildly dangerous, but... Yeah, we, there was a... It's been somewhere in the life of this podcast, there was a video that came out, and it was like the South African or a South African flight demonstration team flying SNJs, AT6s, whatever they were. Yeah, yeah, or I remember T20, that. They weren't T-28s. They were tail draggers, but but big radial engine military trainers from, from the World War II era. Uh, and they were doing this in formation. Really? And they were all touching the water? Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, skimming their tires along the water. How does that work exactly? I don't, I don't only, get, I don't. You know, if I tried it, I'd be upside down. Well, yeah, everybody well, except got a the nose lead. dragger. I, no, if I tried it in a tail dragger, I'd be upside down. Ah, yeah. see, that's the thing, and maybe it's the big tire aspect of this that I makes it, it makes yeah. it well, the, the, aquaplane the, the, more on the top of the water because the, the I would T sixes as head standard tires. Yeah, now, the big tires won't fold up into the wheel wells. Let me see if I can find a link for that. It would just seem to me it would take a huge amount of, uh, of I don't know what you want to call it, vertical control. You just don't want to settle onto the water s- t- uh, surface too hard because you don't want to dig in the wheels. You don't want it to slow you down because then you're in big trouble. You know, so that would be a that would be a formula for yeah. going going submarine. Yeah, that would be a bad thing. But they they seem to do it regularly enough that they have. You know, confidence that they're doing it safely. You know, at least by their standard of safe. You know, because landing well, out like you, this is you barely have to. You barely have to make water contact to get that effect. Yeah, it's not like you got to put it down. You know, to the sidewalls. You know, it, I, I, true. And well, and you don't want to put it down to the sidewall. Obviously, no. I, I mean, I guess my point here is that, and I've flown with Jeb um, and and watched him just gently kiss the runway as he lands. And so clearly, he has that level of control over his airplane. It's something that I've not 
regularly able to accomplish when I fly. Um, I, I will occasionally plant the uh, airplane on touchdown, and that would not work in this kind of a skim-the-water surface thing. I just sent you all a link uh, to that video of the ATC's, AT6s. T6 water skiing, huh? Yeah. Super sport. Yeah, just (laughs) fast forward, you know, slide it, you know, to maybe 40 seconds or something. Yeah, okay. 20, 30 seconds. Around 40 seconds in. Look at that. Holy moly. Yeah, the T6 is in, you know, formation. But see, so in, when you're doing form, that just looks crazy. Dangerous. That is, it does, doesn't <laughs> it? I, mean, looks, like, <laughs> I just don't know. Don't but, try you know. this at home, kids. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, and uh, and it's sustained. I mean, it's not like they just touch and 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 climb out. They're like going, oh wow, look at that. That's that's some flying stuff too, huh? And uh, so, uh, all right. I guess. Maybe. <laughs> who do we know who might know something about this? Let's see now. Who's a... Uh, um, no living humans, I know. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, they... Uh, yeah, because when you're flying formation like that, only the lead is actually looking at the ground, theoretically, right? The How do you skim the surface of the water not looking at the water? you got to look at the water. The, the, the time out. Time out. Yeah. You yeah. don't. Yeah. You look at the water. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so they're, you, they're, you know, they're abreast. They're not really in formation. You know, they're, they're okay. It's a it's a it's a four abreast, and they're pretty much wingtip. Well, I don't say wingtip to wingtip. There's maybe twenty thirty yards between wingtips. Yeah, um, I guess. So they can they can kind of do it on their own. I'm sure there's some communication going on um, as to as to timing and stuff. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and I guess maybe so. There's we're seeing the four ship formation, but I think one of the shots. When they were skimming the water, showed a fifth ship that was staying. There, above. There's at least two other airplanes, and I thought maybe it was a camera ship, which it probably was, but it maybe also was a spotter ship, just kind of like it uh-huh. warned people if something was going amiss. You know, so anyway. yeah. Well, if they can't see two airplanes streaking across the water with the rooster tails and everything. Yeah, something's amiss. All right. Yeah. So well, um, and, you know, the, 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 the making contact with the water, and you're going to feel it. You're you're gonna feel the energy change when you when you yeah. when you contact it, and probably have to goose the throttle just a little bit to hold your airspeed. Yeah, but you don't have to stare at it. Yeah, you, you, you look down periodically, then you spend you know part of your scan on the panel and part of your scan on the guys that you're in formation with, and then back at the water, being really careful to keep your pitch trim neutral. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing going on is they have to enter and then leave ground effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and that, that can, that'll change the aerodynamics right. a, a little bit. And that close, oh, man, that just, uh. Yeah. It just yeah. gets easier to fly. Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. It's, it's just like landing, but not, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. You know, yeah, I know. But, I know. Uh, anyway, welcome, folks. Yeah, welcome, folks. <laughs> well, Thank you, Jeb. Uh, welcome, folks, to uh, Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. That's that's as far as I'm going to get. It's as far as you can go. I'm Jack Hodgson, and uh, I'm coming to you from uh, high atop Lookout Point in uh, beautiful climate-changed uh, Nottingham, New Hampshire. That's all you get for a quarter. Yeah, right, yeah. And uh, I'm here talking to my uh, two good friends uh, after uh, 
I guess we've recovered from Oshkosh. But anyway, is that one of those voices out there who was uh, who did a pretty good job there with the intro? That's good. I'm impressed. Uh, uh, is Jeb Burnside from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida? Hi, De- Hi, Jeb. How you doing? I'm spiffy this morning. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, you're spiffy now. You were struggling now. with your computer a little yeah, earlier. Thank you for. Thank you, Microsoft. Yeah, thank right. you. I appreciate it. Yep. No worries. I appreciate you going above and beyond to get that thing figured out, Jeb. That was. Uh, no worries. It had to be fixed. So. Yeah, I, but that's frustrating stuff when your computer does that to you. And uh, mine's actually, I'm actually working on my, purely on my laptop today because mine's been fighting me a little bit lately. Although I have, I think I know why. And it's not Microsoft, it's World of Warcraft, which is a whole different podcast. But, uh, yeah. Um, and so, uh, so uh, what's going on, Jeb? Uh, by the way, I missed you at Oshkosh. Uh, no, Jeb, where we, uh, were you? I I had to come back. Uh, you weren't there when I was there, and I wasn't there when you were there. I know, huh? Oh, it was. Uh, yeah. Y'all had a know. lot of fun though, especially with the last episode. So that was good. Y'all, oh yeah, we did. did. And uh, I don't know if you had a chance to take a look at that video. We we did that experiment where we we shot some video while we were recording the episode, so people could actually see the uh, the fire bomber and see the uh, the you know various airplanes we were talking about yeah. and, uh, um, right now it exists on the internet just as a uh, as a uh, raw video the entire 90 minutes um, and one of these days I'm going to boil it down into highlights uh, we actually the moments when we actually do reference airplanes and uh, and also combine it with a second camera which shows the 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 uh, departure end of the runway so Anyways. When we get some spare time. When we get some spare time, that's right. And my other good friend is here, too. That's uh, from uh, the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. That's uh, Dave Higdon. Hi, David. What are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm finally fully recovered from my marathon Oshkosh visit. Uh, Twelve yeah. days with bookends by uh, two excessively long drives. But, man, was it was it ever a blast. It was it was quite a year, um, and I missed most of it. I was only there for the final two days. Um, David, you certainly can talk to this. Jeb, you were there for the bulk of it too. Um, yeah. It's getting rave reviews as a, as a year of air venture, um, both in terms of numbers, you know, attendance and 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 whatnot, and and just people um, seem to think it was a great great air venture. Is well, that was, your impression? Yeah, that was my impression, and that was the message that I imparted. Uh, to uh, EAA's uh, chairman and CEO, uh, uh, Jack Pelton, as we were coming off the announcer's stand from our closing day uh, episode. Uh, you know, I mentioned it had been a great show, how crowded the halls were. And I commented that I thought that the uh, Bloody Well could have set a new record. And he kind of demurred and he said he didn't think that would happen because the huge influx of people the year before when the Blue Angels were there. And that that was true. The last three days, the crowd, which usually is kind of stable by, you know, late in the show, kind of ballooned with people coming in to see the the Blues. And then we get the show report later the same day, and I don't read it till I'm home in Wichita the next day. And they did set a new record. Yep, they did. Yep, that's yep. what they're so my, that's what they're claiming. My, and, uh, my impression, my uh, I don't know what would I call it, my mental yardstick for comparing crowds and and, and how busy vendors were talking uh, 
uh, about their businesses. Uh, not not a bad yardstick because I would have bet money on it being a new record. Yeah. Uh, e- even after even after Jack told me that he didn't think that was going to be the case. So six hundred and one thousand people. Yeah. Yeah. And the, they figured this. They figured out the zen of doing this because if I'm not mistaken, certainly last year was a record also, and I think the year before that was a record. Well, last year was definitely a record. Uh, last year was, you know, their biggest crowd ever. The year before, I think they tied an old record. Okay. Uh, so they've they've set new attendance records two years in a row. Uh, and, and of course, the sixty four dollar question is, what do you do for next year? Well, uh, and then you know, what's everybody going to say? You know, when they they don't make a new record next year? Oh well, the show's going to hell. You know. Blah, blah, blah. Um, no, no, I don't think but so. But yeah. what yeah. impressed me most about the, the the size and the quality of the crowd there was that that happened despite a three-day run-up to opening day that had rain off and on, inches yeah, of rain really off and on. Really scuzzy weather, yeah. Yeah, you basically really lost a day and a half about midday Sunday. And then on Wednesday night, it canceled the night air show, which they were very, very smart and quickly rescheduled a Thursday night so that, you know, the, the, it was still on the uh, on the schedule. But the uh, all that weather, all the difficulty in people getting in, both flying in and driving in, getting campsites that weren't flooded. And they still set a record through all that, which I think is a remarkable statement on how much people wanted to be at this show this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I no, so I agree. Too. I agree. Uh, so, so David, you you mentioned the long drive home, um, and but more or less uneventful, I take it. Huh? You got home same day, right? You left around. Well, we did the show until about eleven thirty. Um, you pretty quickly said your goodbyes. We all went back to the. Uh, campground where we did final pack up and then you drove away i, I pulled off the air show property at twelve thirty central on sunday afternoon mm-hmm. and was in my driveway in wichita at 2 a.m monday morning yeah see i'm i'm jealous man i that if i could have that drive to oshkosh i'd, I'd be a happy guy when i do drive out there i it takes me basically two days it's it's a two-day trip from here by ground also yeah uh, it's yeah. just it's just short of 800 miles from a right Right. I mean, that's a sure long day's drive, but it's a day. You can do it in a day if you're, if you're, if you're, you know. Yeah, I've yeah. got to rethink that next year. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, so. I'm not flying next year. But uh, th- this year, really, the, between the week and the activity and the drive home, it really kicked my butt for the next three days. I bet. I'm sure. I'm not surprised. I uh, um, uh, just to kind of give some context here. So I had been in Nashville for the day job. Um, up until Friday morning of uh, of Oshkosh week, and on Friday morning I uh, took a flight from uh, from Nashville to Milwaukee, where I then got a rental car and came up to Oshkosh for a couple nights. My original plan about leaving was so I had to go back to Milwaukee, where I was going to turn in the rental car and then take a flight back to uh, New Hampshire. Um, and uh, I was going to stay overnight. My flight wasn't until Monday afternoon. I was originally thinking I'm going to stay in the trailer one more night um, at Camp Scholler and then, and then head down on, on Monday morning or Monday afternoon. 
Um, and But as Sunday afternoon winds on, an interesting thing happens, both at Camp Scholar in general and certainly at Camp Bacon, and that is it starts to turn into a ghost town. I mean, it's kind of amazing how, how just everybody leaves. I mean, you know, even even the the, the Lord Mayor, um, you know, uh, Overstreet uh, family leave. And I thought they might stick around this time because they're living the RV lifestyle now. But uh, they took off, and I mean, it's just amazing. Even by mid-afternoon on Sunday, it's starting to get pretty sparse there. Well, so Mary, Mary Beth and Larry had to get back to their home. Yeah, they had some personal stuff they needed to deal with. So they took off. So everybody was taken off. So as the as the afternoon progressed, I'm thinking this is just going to be depressing, <laughs> you know. And uh, you know, as as our friend Steve Tupper says in a much more dramatic fashion than than I do, but he talks about Sunday afternoon at, at AirVenture being just depressing. And uh, so uh, um, I did another pass through uh, the the uh, the uh, event grounds and looked at some things that I had missed and and just kind of soaked up the last bits of the experience. And then uh, mid to late afternoon, um, I packed up my stuff, jumped in my rental car, and drove down to a and overnighted at a hotel near Milwaukee Airport, um, and then got on my flight the next day and came home. So that was all relatively uneventful as well. What I want to hear about this is all by uh, by prelude to uh, Jeb flew home. You left what on th- th- Wednesday morning? Uh, Wednesday, Wednesday morning, Wednesday yeah. noonish, something like that. Right? Yeah, of course. It was Friday afternoon before I got the wheels at the yeah. wheel. And and you made you flew home at at very nearly supersonic speeds. <laughs> uh, I didn't have the same headwinds going home that I had going up. I was watching you on FlightAware, man, and you were booking. All right, I had <laughs> I had a good hundred and eighty knots for for a good part of the trip. Yeah. Oh, you had you had ground. I, I was watching. You had ground speeds of two hundred, two hundred one. I saw a two eleven at one point on okay. on the little the little chart thing there. All right, I mean that was just like you got home. You were home before dark. And that included, a, well, maybe not before dark, but but early evening, right? What did you yeah, finally? It was, it was. I had to turn the lights on, nav lights, and all that. Um, but um, and that includes a fuel stop. In, that includes in a fuel stop, Georgia and I could, you know, that was. I didn't get out of Georgia. It was still. It was like seven o'clock before I could get out of Georgia, and that was like Cook County Airport, which is right near the Florida line. So mm-hmm. I had about an hour and a half, and that put me in here about eight thirty, which was about dusk. Um, and you know, no real tailwinds on that leg but uh, uh it all worked out yeah. um yeah yeah so it, you know just another day in the airplane um yeah. yep. um it was a lot easier trip down than it was getting up yeah you, you, getting up you had to zig and zag in some storms a and, lot of zigging and zagging and hadn't really literally had to overnight before i could get into oshkosh but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and that was mainly because i was just running behind so anyways but, uh, another yeah, oshkosh yeah. in the books and uh, another oshkosh in the books um, i had a great time um you know, thanks to both of you gentlemen. Uh, thanks to uh, to Larry and Mary Beth. Thanks mm-hmm. to so many other people. Yeah, um, it was it was a, you know another great show as we discussed earlier. Um, they they know how to do this now. They yeah. figured out they they broke the code. They do. They do. Yeah. So, anyways, one last uh, Oshkosh 18 thing, um, and that is that one of the uh, uh, activities, programs um, that we were following um, with interest this year was the One Week Wonder Build. And uh, we uh, uh, we actually talked with uh, Charlie Becker on our Sunday morning show, uh, and he gave us an update that at that point it hadn't taxied yet, but they were expecting it to taxi. Um, it did, in fact, taxi that afternoon. Um, out along in front of the, the crowd line, um, 
And Charlie had told us on Sunday morning that they were hoping to f- actually fly it on Tuesday. Um, but I'm pretty sure that they actually ended up flying, taking it up for first flight on uh, Monday afternoon. So uh, Yeah, they yeah. got their FAA sign, up, sign off more quickly than they expected. Yeah. So they basically built an airplane from parts in a little over seven days, about seven days, four hours from, from you know, basically first putting first pieces together to first flight in a little over seven days. That's, that's very impressive. That's, you know, um, no one, of course, should expect to do that in real life, but it's, it's a testament both to the, 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 the approachability of these kits and also the organization of Charlie and his team. Well, the, um, the, the, the organization, it, you know, the, they, they call it a, a one-week wonder, and as Charlie correctly points out, that's not counting the time that they spend getting everything sorted, getting all the parts in, getting everything organized so that when the volunteers show up, they can go right to work. Get all the tools together, get all the fixtures, all the, all the support equipment they need, Yeah, uh, training people how to use it. Um, in, in my experience from, I guess it was the 14 show, uh, is when you, when you go through to, to, to pull a rivet, uh, you know, they show you what you're going to do. You got classes and and all that kind of thing. Were you all able to sign uh, um, sign the airframe? Uh, yes. Good. Yeah. Good. Uh, good it was good. a very cool story, actually. Um, and uh, so it was, <coughs> David. What was it? That was Saturday afternoon, I believe. Yeah. Well, have to have been Saturday afternoon. And uh, Saturday afternoon, and I had kind of. You know, had had abandoned the idea of being able to pull a rivet this year because I had so little time, and the lines there were still lines, but people waiting when when you know on Saturday afternoon, and um, and so I just said, okay, well, I, I did my part on on one week wonder number one, and I'll just kind of cheer number two. So uh, we wandered by to kind of look, take a look at the progress and to watch across the fence. And I saw our friend Charlie in there. And so I snuck in to say hi and shake his hand. Um, and he said hi, and he was very friendly. And I mean, and for all the things he's got going on. Exactly. Right? Yeah, Charlie's just uh, yeah. uh, top he, notch. He not only yeah. took a minute to shake my hand and say hi and, and, and how you doing, but then he said, so have you pulled your rivet? And I said, well, no, I didn't have a chance because the lines are long. He says, no, 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 come on, we'll, we'll fix you up right here. And so um, he he had a station there uh, out on the uh, the uh, t- the uh, uh, pilot side uh, uh, horizontal tail surface, and uh, and gave me the training right then and there about how to pull the river. Although I'd heard it, you had you guys, or Dave had given a really good training, uh, audio only training in one of the dailies, and uh, so I got my training and got me all set up, and then uh, he posed me for the Charlie posed me for the picture, and uh, and and I I pulled my river rivet, and. Uh, and so I was thanking him for this, and then he says, so we've got to get Dave in here to do it, too. And I said, well, Dave's right there. Dave was, like, still standing outside the fence, and so we waved Dave in, and Dave got his training, and Dave got set up. And and as Dave is getting set up to pull his rivet, all right, this this older gentleman who's just wandering around wearing, you know, the, the, the van's, you know, logo gear uh, wanders by, and it turns out that it is, in fact, um, Dick Van Grinson, Van um, <laughs> himself, all right, is there, all right, and so uh, supervising David's rivet pull was Van, <laughs> all right, and uh, we actually, uh, I haven't seen them, David, did you ever, t- ever get a chance to take a look? I took a couple pictures, I tried to get pictures of showing you pulling your rivet and with Van looking on i'm, I'm going to get those to you tomorrow yeah and uh and so yeah dave and i both that's, that's very cool it is very cool guys. yeah it's very cool and then he, he very graciously agreed to a picture so dave and i have a picture of the two of us um standing with uh, with van uh, Char- um, and- charlie gave us some interesting data uh 
he gave it to me when I was doing the uh, uh, the solo uh, daily uh, that you titled uh, "Fingernail Test." Yep. Uh, in fourteen, they ordered three thousand pins for people to use to sign their rivet. Yep. And they let people keep them. And at the end of the, uh, if they wanted to, and they, at the end of the uh, process, when they flew the uh, Zenith, they had 500 of those 3,000 pins left. Right. That's for the first one. This year, they had, they ordered 4,000 pins, and they ran out Wednesday like night. Thursday or Friday wow. or something like that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was just immensely popular. Bigger crowds. Uh I went by the One Week Wonder uh, operation at least once a day, and there was never a pass where there wasn't a queue waiting to get their training on this blank piece of aluminum that it had holes drilled in it, or waiting in line to go pull their rivet on the real thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And very often the lines waiting to pull the rivet almost blocked that taxiway through the middle of the West Ramp. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. it was just wow. stunning. Yeah, it's just a, it's a terrific, terrific program to introduce people to what's really involved in building an airplane. And uh, kudos to Charlie and his entire crew for, for putting it together. So, yeah, hats uh, off to the One Week Wonder crew, and particularly yeah. to uh, Charlie Becker, who yeah. who uh, shepherds this program when they do it. I, I, I imagine he'll be ready to do this again in about four more years. Yeah, right. That's, that was my joke at the during the morning episode. I said, we now know that the mean time between One Week Wonders is four years. That's right. And, and so we'll see how that goes. Well, and something uh, that hadn't come up in some of these discussions of the One Week Wonder project was that Zenith did this a number of times at Sun and Fun, where they uh, built an airplane yeah. in a week. And taxied it, and usually didn't fly it on the last day of the show. It usually would fly the day after. But uh, they're they're the folks that actually kind of got this whole uh, uh, whole phenomenon started mm-hmm. by bringing one of their kits to Lakeland and setting up a work area, and then running three running people through. Yeah, it, it's how a recently real have they done that? Because these things are built too. How recently have they done that at Sun and Fun? Because I don't recall it. It's been a while. Yeah, okay. Because I've been going regularly now for 10 years. and uh, I think it's been longer than that. But that, I know they did it two or three times, hmm. but not in sequential years. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, okay. Well, neither is, neither is EAA, so there you go. All right. Hey, we need to move on here. There's a couple of things we want to talk about. But uh, AirVenture was cool. I'm sorry that I only was there for two days. That was just a big and, mistake. And you picked the paint scheme, huh? I did pick the paint scheme. Once again, uh, they have, they have, uh, they're using my suggestion, and, uh, and the uh, paint scheme that I, that I uh, voted for is the one that won. And so, uh, so Designed uh, by our good friend uh, uh, Craig Marnett at Scheme yeah, Designers. Yeah, a, a seriously handsome paint scheme. And uh, cra- uh, props to, uh, to Craig and his crew and and to me for picking it. Um, so anyways, Hey, we need to move on here. Um, so I don't know, this is a follow up and I, uh, Jeb, you're our, uh, Malaysia airlines flight 370 expert, or at least you used to be. I don't know if you're still paying attention. to that. I, yeah, go ahead. So it's just, it was in the news lately and I just figured we would touch base here. Um, they, they've now officially said we give up at least, Right? Yeah. Is that what they've said? Which I don't. I'm not sure if I buy that, but okay, that's what you're saying. Yeah, 
I'm, I'm not exactly sure what all this is, but I'm familiar with the story. Uh, basically, the um, uh, Malaysian Civil Aviation Authorities issued what what's some are calling at least a final investigative report um, into the March 2014 disappearance of Malaysian Airways or Malaysian uh, uh, Airlines Flight uh, 370 took off from uh, um, Malaysia, headed for uh, Beijing, and uh, uh, basically went uh, went Nordo, um, was tracked. Um, Nordo being turned off transponder and all of that. Yeah, it, and uh, and yeah. It was was through some fancy footwork. Uh, was so, kind of sort of tracked uh, into the South Indian Ocean, where um, it was lost. the The closest big landmass is Australia. To give you an idea, how far this airplane flew. Yeah, that's a uh, big ocean down there. People big, don't. Yeah. People don't understand how big the Indian Ocean is. Yeah. Um, so um, off and on. Uh, and there's been wreckage that has has uh, drifted ashore thousands of miles away that's been attributed, uh, reliably attributed to the aircraft. Uh, but there's no, um, d- despite uh, hours and days and weeks of people towing sonar uh, rigs over the Indian Ocean looking for, for wreckage, looking for something, uh, no one's been able to reliably find uh, anything purporting to be the wreckage from this airplane. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, uh, now that now that they've kind of called off all of the formal searching, uh, I said it before. I'll say it again. They will find something. They will find this airplane's resting place. Yeah. Uh, just not right now. Yeah, it's it's going to be yeah right. It's just going to take some time and and uh, yeah right. Just to give me some context here, so it's been basically four years since this right. thing took off and disappeared. Uh, how long was it for Air France, the uh, Atlantic Ocean it was, one? It was two years, I think, almost to the week. Okay, so it's been a lot longer in this yeah, case than, than that uh, one. And Air France four four seven was, I think, in oh nine. Yeah, uh, and uh, they knew the general area where it was in the sense that uh, um, you know they, they well I won't, I won't say that they uh, uh, had some had some inkling through via a cars uh, where the aircraft was in the in the time that it was lost uh, but they didn't have a firm position on it and initial initial searching uh, uh, unfortunately revealed only bodies and, and some light wreckage uh, it took uh, again two years and, and some rethinking of uh, the directions in which the airplane flew before they could come up with the wreckage and finally got the black boxes out of it, which were uh, uh, the information on them were recoverable, which was a great thing. They they finally understood what caused the Air France four four seven accident. Right. Right. Um, that will eventually happen with this flight also. Do we uh, now? We know the batteries and the pingers are are long gone. Are these these black box recorders stable enough that they will be, the data will be recoverable ten years later? What's the sort of outside expectation? I don't know that there is any. It's all solid state stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 Air France four four seven recorders were in something like fourteen thousand feet of water mm-hmm. to give you an idea of how well they stood up, or at least the memory units stood up to the pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
David, you were going to say something. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, just homing in on what uh, Jeb said, these are solid-state, yeah. uh, non-volatile memory chips that record this stuff. And hundreds of channels, huge capacity. Uh, they're a lot like the compact flash and secured digital cards that we use in our cameras and our recorder. Uh, and I've had those cards go through both washers and dryers <laughs> and still work. Okay. Now, I know well, that's, that's not 14,000 That's sort of like 11,000 feet below the ocean surface, But, right? but it, it is abuse they weren't originally designed no, for. No, I get it. Yeah. So the, the batteries have long since died. We know that. Uh, they never got pings off of the Air France or the uh, uh, Malaysian airplanes. Uh, they did have a much smaller search area to start with with the French airplane, and it was still took them two years to find it because it was in really mountainous waters, mm-hmm. yeah. really tough yeah. terrain to to get accurate scans of the bottom from that would show up pieces of wreckage, which was how they eventually found it. Uh, they have no such search area definition for this. It's a huge arc. And it's defined by uh, by the, uh, uh, the, the the standby ACAR signals. It was just the handshake signal. Yeah, and ACAR well, is for for those of you that are not airline fluent is an acronym for Aircraft Communications Addressing and Reporting System, which is a digital data link system for transmitting short messages between aircraft and ground stations via airbound radio or satellite, uh, depending on where you are. And the ACARS reports were the first sign that the French authorities had that something was going wrong with the Air France airplane. It started, right. it started to report some major anomalies that didn't mm-hmm. make any sense to the people on the receiving end. Uh, it wasn't making any sense to the crew on the flight deck either. Right. Uh, Malaysia, we got none of that. Yeah. It just went quiet, yeah. except for the handshake signal that occurred every few minutes so that the ACAR system knew that it was still connected to the receiving end. But that was it. It wasn't transmitting any data, mm-hmm. which kind of points in the direction of, if not a catastrophic failure of the uh, yeah. uh, of the avionics, some kind of intervention that would stop it, because that's an automated system. Right. It, it, it doesn't need the pilot to do anything to, to send its report. Yeah. So, yeah. so well, well, like I think you know, I I I believe what Jeb says. I mean, they, they, we finally found Amelia Earhart, right? Or did we? I don't know. I think not yet. Yeah. So maybe it could take eighty years before we find Malaysia three seventy. But well, it's been eighty years, and we still haven't found Amelia. That gives you the, the kind of a time reference to 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 look at. Okay. Anyways, all right. Um, moving on here. When uh, so um, at we ran out of time on our last episode before Oshkosh, um, and there were a couple of subjects that you asked that we kind of leave on the list that weren't really time sensitive, but you wanted to talk about. David, you asked that we um, leave on the list this uh, new ADSB uh, in products coming. Um, is yeah, this fresh in your mind? Can you tell service. us a little bit about what's going on here? Yeah, FAA has added new uh, uh, what they call products. New services to the uh, flight information service broadcast. That's the ADSBN. It gives you free weather, 
uh, free traffic. Well, the traffic's a different one. That's TISP B. But the Weather Center information, uh, now they're, uh, they started with 13 weather products, uh, including NexRed, Mosaics, Winds Aloft, Terminal Forecast, uh, Flight Information Service Broadcast now has uh, a boatload of additional requirements including or services including lightning strikes and some other stuff you can follow the link that we've got it'll show you in much more detail without you having to listen to me natter on but most of the ADSBN providers that I talked to at Oshkosh said that their products were already set up to make use of those and show them on the uh, user oh, okay. screens. That was the, going to be my question, whether or not anybody was going to take advantage of this. You're saying they already are taking advantage. Some they're of already them all. taking it. Most of their most of their systems were already set up to accept that because they knew two years ago, three years ago, that the FAA was working on expanding what is available under FIS Flight Information Service broadcast. So. Uh, that's there, and if you buy a new system now, it's already built into it. Yeah. And for other systems, it uh, um, should be just a uh, software upgrade or, you know, the latest version of Flight or whatever. Right, right, right. yeah. Exactly. Assuming that the, the software provider chooses to enter, add it, which they probably will. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. If they want to yeah. keep the customers, they'll add it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because it, it'll be a competitive thing. If Yeah. So, uh, well, that's kind of cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um now, uh, somewhat well, also an ADSB story. All right, is one that came out. Uh, I don't want to see what the date on this one is, but uh, about the European uh, there that some European Union operators may not. So they have a similar kind of deadline. Is is it the same deadline or is it? It's twenty twenty, but apparently their deadline is June seven. Is that yeah, our, our, our deadline's January first, isn't it? I thought. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. And, so and, uh, and their deadline has already been moved from twenty seventeen. Oh, it has. Okay, so they're not going to make 2020. How does that have any impact on us? What will happen with those operators coming to the U.S.? I mean, if like if like Air France wants to come to JFK, isn't that an issue? I'm yeah, not they, saying Air France is one of the ones that's going to miss, but just hypothetically, that, that's 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 going to be a problem. Uh, yeah. Well, not only is it going to be a problem, but there's there are domestic carriers in the U.S. that have said for a couple of three years that they're not going to make that line. Oh really? Yeah, I hadn't heard that because I, I, I the FAA has been pretty adamant that they're not extending well, this well, deadline. They're not extending it for GA or business aviation, oh, right? They, they, okay. they, they've created a waiver uh, process for the airlines to use that gives them uh, as much as five years additional time. But that's really a technology problem. Uh, Airlines, airliners for so many years were not built with standard panels. They were built with panels customized to the buyer's preferences. Mm-hmm. So you've got this huge plethora of different systems, different combinations of navigators and transponders and GPS. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's much more standardized today in the last 15 or 20 years it's become. But getting equipment certified for all these different combinations has been a problem for the avionics makers and the airlines. So that there's some airliners for which there's no viable solution available yet. And it may be another two or three years doing it because the avionics makers are so busy meeting the demand for the equipment right now and meeting the demand to certify it in GA stuff. Uh, 
because the business aviation community is in almost a similar situation. A lot of the older business jets uh, have avionics stacks that do not upgrade easily to ADSB out. Uh, but Rockwell Collins, Honeywell, Bendix King, uh, they've all been busting their humps to get upgrades to those cockpits that are as close to plug-and-play as they can get, which usually involves, like, uh, what is it, Universal Avionics and and, uh, Rockwell Collins both have transponders that you can put in that will take care of it, Mode S transponders, because you got to have Mode S above flight level 180. Uh, so they can't use, you know, some of the less expensive, simpler solutions because they got to fly above 18,000 feet to be efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, those I- of us down below, uh, we're stuck with uh, January 1, 2020. But the good news is there's no shortage of solutions that are workable for almost everything in GA. Yeah, yeah. And the prices have come way down and it's a, a story on my hit list from one of my clients uh, looking at the uh at the uh year ahead cuz January of this year I'm sorry January of next year if you don't have a solution or you don't have the hardware and an installation slot you may be setting yourself up to be a non-airworthy to use the system uh when January 1, 2020 comes. Right, right. Yeah, because well, I've you know, talked to some avionics shops that are already looking at five- and six-month-long queues if you book today. Right, right. I mean, I have to say, I, I mean, I'm shocked, shocked to hear that the uh, airlines are being given a pass on some of this stuff. Um, <laughs> well, you know, a lot of that has to do with TCAS. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it has to do with um, uh, some of these older... Uh, uh, jet transports don't have wash GPS. Some of them, you know, some of these old Mad Dogs. I think that that Delta is still running. They don't even have GPS at all, much less wash GPS. And uh, you know, the, the uh, requirements are uh, tighter uh, than the typical GA avionics. Um, and the um, uh, f- the universe of um, equipment sets is a much much smaller than in GA. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there's the economics involved, and there's a lot of uh, uh, all of that. I still wonder why they can't just slap a Garmin transponder on it and call it a day. Well, but that's a whole other problem. You know, no, that's, that's what I was going to say. Conversation, you know? I was going to say we had a guy on the podcast on Sunday morning at Oshkosh who can fix up the airlines. You know, yeah. he had, he had yeah. that that uh, st- what is it, Stratix uh, based solution. That, yeah, uh, that was just in. Oh, it wasn't. Oh, it was just in. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was out as well. All right. No. Okay. Well, all right. Never mind. I guess that one solved your all these problems. But, uh. but for GA, we've got multiple solutions now yeah. that you can put in your airplane that, with installation, come in right at two grand or less. Mm-hmm. Now they don't give you a GPS navigator like uh, some of the more expensive solutions, but uh, Garmin's. I think it's the GDL eighty two. You bolt it in the back of the aircraft, you unplug the transponder cable from the antenna, plug it into one side of the box, plug a jumper between the box and the antenna, mount the antenna for the GPS, and hook it up to power 
test it and sign it off. It can be done in a couple of hours. Yeah, but now let me let me just call you. Uh, let me let me ta- challenge you on something here. You just say two thousand dollars, like that's not a big deal, all right? And I know airplanes are not cheap, and this is a you know the kind of expense that you often see. But for a lot of people, that's a big deal. If I was flying an eleven thousand dollar Champ, all right. A, $2,000 solution is is a huge deal. What's the I mean how cheap can you go and end up with a with a reliable legal solution here? Right now about 1700 bucks is the floor. Really? Yeah. I never realized it was that high. I, yeah. I, I for some reason I assumed that there would be a $500 solution that would meet the bill and uh yeah, I don't uh, do it. well there there may be a $500 solution if you already have a compliant watts GPS. Uh-huh. Yeah. But that's a yeah. big part of these lower cost all-in-one solutions like the GDL82 or the Sky Beacon from Uvionics or the Tail Beacon from Uvionics. They've got to have a compliant GPS receiver to provide position data for the ADSB out yeah. signal. Yeah. And okay. then you gotta have the ADSB out thing and then it's gotta interface with your mode C transponder. This is fairly complicated piece of it electronics. And I'm impressed as hell that Uvionics has managed to put this into a, a, a light that you can use to replace one of your wingtip lights or replace the tail light on your airplane. Mm-hmm. And it's got everything. It's got the GPS receiver. It's got the interface for your Mode C transponder. And it includes an LED position light and strobe light. So, okay. you know, you get that for 1700 bucks, and it goes on in an hour. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. You still, I, I totally get the point. Two grand for an $11,000 airplane is a, is a bit much. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... Anyways, yeah. But um, all the other solutions are so much more expensive. I, I, I can imagine that there are much more expensive solutions. I just thought there would be a well, cheaper well, one. Well, Jeb's but. flying with an all-in-one solution in his mm-hmm. uh, Debbie. And it's, uh, it's you, a lot more expensive than two grand. Yeah. 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 So, anyways, all right. But it does a lot more. It does yeah. a lot more. Yeah. Um, another item that we... Uh, carried over from before Oshkosh. Jeb, you uh, wanted this new pilot certification rules thing to be mentioned. Um, yeah. Um, what, what's the deal here? Yeah, it's been a while, so let me refresh my memory. But uh, yeah, uh, punchline is um, the FAA put out a, a final rule um, over the summer. Um, actually, I think it was published in late June, um, which uh, has some effective dates both before uh, today and, and after today, going through the rest of the year, um, affecting uh, parts uh, 61 um, and uh, 135, 141, and 121, as well as part ni- one, one section of part 91. This has to do with um, um, logging time. It has to do with recurrency. Uh, one of the things that the new rule has done is uh, make it easier to use a simulator um, to do certain uh, to, to conduct certain um, operations, practice certain things required for instrument currency for mm-hmm. the uh, for instrument airplane operation, or I, I presume helicopter also. Um, 
basically uh, with certain and for you know limited amounts of time and and, and uh, maneuvers, basically um, pilots using certain kinds of flight simulators, um, aviation training devices. Excuse me, um, no longer have to have a flight instructor present to log simulated instrument time. Oh, really? Okay. And that's that's a pretty big deal. Now you still can't do this on your PC at home. Uh, it has to be something right. you know um, dedicated to the task. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know that that's a big deal. Yeah, it is. So a one big of those. Deal. Uh, what is it? Red Redbird? Is that what it is? Red the- Red Redbird, uh, Frasca. Uh, I don't think ATC makes simulators anymore. Um, uh, companies like that who are marketing. Um, flight training, aviation training devices, flight simulators um, for uh, training environments like FBOs or uh, schools. Um, No longer do you have to have a flight instructor present to log the simulated instrument time. Mm -hmm. That's a a great thing. No, that sounds great. And if memory serves, this uh, uh, new rules change also clarified what you can apply from light sport training toward your private pilot certificate. It absolutely does. It absolutely it, does. And, and it puts uh, it where it should have uh-huh. been all along. Mm-hmm. It's all cannibal. Basically, it's all cannibal toward, uh, toward a, a private pilot certificate greater. Yeah. Yeah. There are some, there's several other uh, tweaks in, in the rules. So, you know, next time you go for a BFR... Don't be surprised if your CFI, you know, starts exploring some of this with you, mm-hmm. and and you know, now's a good time to go look it all up. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes to the final rule. It's straight out of the, the Federal Register, and it's long, but uh, um, you got to get a feel. And at the end of it, um, at the end of this document uh, is the recitation of what the the new rules now, how the new rules now read. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, the uh, the FAA website has the current regs all the time. Anyway, yeah, cool. Okay, yeah, it is cool. Sounds good. Sounds good. Hey, we're reaching end of our allotted time here, um, but I I wanted to just kind of touch base on a new item that uh, our favorite uh, U.S. senator, um, aviation senator, Senator Inhofe, um, has proposed a bill of some sort, the Sarah Bill. What is? What, what, <sighs> Is this something, and is this good? You know, for all of our love-hate relationship with Senator Inhofe, he occasionally does some really good things for aviation, I think, and uh, he's he's there standing up for GA, and uh, is this one of those things? He's not alone. Yeah. He's he's not alone, that's true. Yeah. Um, I haven't haven't looked at this either. Give me... Sure. It's called the uh, Securing and Revitalizing Aviation Act of 2018. Um. And I don't know the details, but uh, let's see now. And, well, and, another, and I'm looking. Another senator introduced a, a, a bill with the same goal uh, earlier this week or late last week. Uh, so there's several of these floating around, and the trick will yeah. be getting them all on one, the same page and getting one of them passed. Yeah. Um, there's. Um, we'll get to that. We can get to that in a minute anyway. There's um, uh, some projects, some funding in the bill that. Um, uh, um, for example, to create and deliver curriculum designed to provide high school students with meaningful aviation education designed to prepare them to become aircraft pilots, aerospace engineers, or unmanned aircraft systems operators. 
basically that portion of the bill is a, a pilot training promotion mm-hmm. device. Yeah. Which which is you know if you hear if you if you pay much attention to what, at least what some of the regional carriers are saying, uh, it's increasingly difficult for them to find flight crew. Um, my answer to that is um, pay them more. But that's you know they don't right. listen. To, they don't listen to me. Yeah. Um, there's some additional tweakage um, of uh, how the NTSB handles uh, airman certificate reviews uh, after an enforcement action from the FAA. Um, there's some reforms for designated pilot examiners with which I'm not familiar. Um, uh, there's some training. Um, for um, 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 invasive species transported by float plane from one body of water to another. Yeah. Okay. And there's another deal in here that uh, requires the FA to provide free of charge the air traffic control services at major events like Oshkosh or Sun and Fun. I thought that had already been established. Well, you know, I'm not sure how that, what, what the status of that is. It hasn't come up. Um, uh, recently in in the aviation media, and I simply don't know uh, yeah. what where where all that has been uh, and where this takes it. It was a policy change, not a legislative change, that uh, okay. brought about yeah. the, the FAA yeah. this, demanding this payment. It. Yeah, yeah, and and it's gone. The policy has been reversed uh, since it first emerged. And Senator Inhofe is attempting to codify that into, yeah. into okay. law. All right. So, <laughs> so there's one other thing going on, though. Yeah. Uh, and that's you know, our old bugaboo FAA reauthorization. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the Aviation Association Alphabet Soup within the last week sent a joint letter to Senate leadership urging uh, the Senate leadership to um, come up with an FAA bill here before the end of this Congress. Right. Uh, there's a House pass bill, apparently, um, and um, um, this is all kind of holding fire. One of the problems holding this up is at the 30,000-foot level is um, the FAA does not have an administrator. The FAA has an acting administrator. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, whose name escapes me, but uh, by all accounts is doing uh, a great job. Uh, no one's unhappy with him, except for one guy sitting <laughs> sitting in this big white house somewhere yeah. in the middle of Washington, D.C., who still thinks it would be a great idea for his personal pilot to become the FAA administrator. All kidding aside, is he still... Apparently that that's still a thing. No, that, really? that's, that, that's not a joke. That's it's not, not kidding. A, this is apparently <laughs> that's still a thing, and apparently there is um, great fear and loathing throughout the aviation policy community uh, on whether they even want to try to slide something in front of this particular individual uh, with with the idea that he'll pitch a fit. And won't sign it until his pilot becomes FAA administrator. Yeah, I, I'm just reporting, folks. I'm not making yeah. this up. Yeah. Okay. And All right. While we're talking about saving aviation from extinction, uh, Senator Tammy Baldwin from uh, Wisconsin uh, last week introduced uh, the American Aviator Act, which is a little narrower than Sarah. 
Well, it's significantly narrower than the Sarah uh, Act of 2018. And what she's after, and she's got some co-sponsors for this, is to create a grant program to help pay for flight school and training for veterans who were not pilots in the military, but who are interested in moving into aviation jobs. Uh, the goal being to provide some relief for the airlines that are short of pilots. Uh, some of these guys could go back to the military afterward in flying billets. Uh, and, of course, it wouldn't hurt the GA population to have more pilots either. So there's a lot going on on there, but this... This, the FAA needs a long-term reauthorization, and I'm, I'm sorry, but a, a, a guy's qualifications has to be more than, well, he flew for me, and I like him. Yeah. No, agreed. No, uh, no, no, it doesn't. Not in the world in which we live now. Yeah, okay. Um, all right. Shout-outs. What do we got here? Um, Shout-outs. I don't particularly have a shout out here. I, you know, um, I, 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 you know, I mean, I, I one uh, kind of easy, low hanging fruit, easy shout out, but I heartfelt in my case is is thank you to our listeners that I visited with um, at Air Venture. Um, it, it was I was Absolutely. only there for two days, but uh, um, it, it's it's always it's always cool to uh, to uh, you know run into folks and, and chat with them and uh, um, and also I w- I've been hearing from a lot of people online um, expressing their appreciation for the uh, the dailies that we do from Air Venture. We enjoy doing the dailies. We'd probably do them. Anyways, but it is nice to hear from people that that they are are useful to give people uh, the, the uh, what we go for, and I think what's coming across from what I'm hearing is that is that uh, we we try and try and portray the flavor, the the, the atmosphere of being at our venture in the dailies, um, and so uh, you know we talk about different activities around the field and you know different social things and, and whatnot and and so thank you to uh, all of our listeners for uh, for their feedback and for their uh, support and for their listenership and uh, and all that kind of stuff and uh, it's it's i've said it before i'll say it again it's absolutely true if if we are all if we are in the same place at the same time don't hesitate to come up and say hello yeah. don't don't feel like that you're going to bother us or, or or whatever um we really love saying hi and and hearing your stories um so uh, if you're an air show that we're at or whatever come up and say hi uh, we i would really enjoy that i, I i'm 99 sure you guys feel the same way absolutely yeah um that's my shout out what do you guys got i should have thought about this before now i'll go real quick uh, we have a link in the show notes to an eaa blog all about the volunteers that make air venture work and for those of you that have never thought about it, that's about 5,000 people yeah. who come up there, pay their way up there. They volunteer their time, and they make the show run from the people that drive the trams to the people that sell the programs to the people that man the gates where you buy your wristband uh, to the folks picking up the trash several times a day. Uh, they're all volunteers. They all deserve our uh, thanks and our respect. Uh one other quickie, uh, hats off to uh, my friends over at Doc's Friends that uh, recently received FAA approval to start uh, flying passenger flights in the B-29 dock. So that's a big, big thing for them. Mm-hmm. That means they can start flying people on fundraising flights and help pay for the uh, the operation of the airplane, which ain't cheap. 
Yeah. And the construction of a new home for Doc that's being built at uh, Eisenhower International Airport. So that's end of mine. Yeah. Very, very cool. On the subject of volunteers, um, you know, I've said before what a, it's, it's not only very, very valuable to have volunteers at AirVenture, but it's a great thing to do. It's just, it really enhances the experience. Anybody who doesn't already uh, uh, have some sort of activity that, you know, if you go to AirVenture and just hang out at the campground, that's a great experience and you can enjoy AirVenture that way. But by, by spending some of your time at AirVenture in some volunteer capacity, you will enhance the experience um, even more. Um, and on a personal note, um, so I've been actually just hanging out in the campground version for a couple of years now since we stopped being involved with the newspaper. And I came to the realization this year that starting next year, I need to find a new volunteer gig. And so I'm actually open to suggestions from listeners or from you two guys, quite frankly. You could do a podcast. Uh, on yeah, well, on <laughs> on, uh, on on what I might get involved with uh, at AirVenture, some some particular task that uh, you know, I mean, I might and uh, I would just you know like to hear from people. I'm I'm on the lookout for some sort of volunteer gig that I can do, maybe a you know a couple hours a day, two th- something like that, you know, um, and uh, but volunteering's great. Let me know what people's suggestions are. You can podcast it on controlled airspace or on Twitter or something. You could, know. you could start like a, uh, a free, well, like, like, a um, Uber for beer service on the, <laughs> on the ground. I'm sure EAA would not object to anything like that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of um, Uber for beer, I'm sorry, Jeb, did you have a shout out? I, I do real quickly. I'm going to steal one of David's. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah. Um, Sunday. This coming Sunday. Oh, uh, yeah, right. National Aviation Day. Sunday, August 19. Um, be there, be square. Yeah. I, and I thank you for your vote of confidence. Um, <laughs> we're recording on the 16th, and you you feel have enough confidence that I will get this out the door in time for the 19th, which I will, by the way. But I'm, I, I'm, I have nothing to say on that topic. But I, I, I will get it out, by the way. But we got, I, I, we, We've got confidence in you, son. We've got confidence yeah, in you. But uh, I appreciate that. Um, I was going to say something else, and now I've lost it completely. I don't know what it was. It's probably a lie. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Anyways, that's it. Stick a fork in it. We're done. Ouch. Ouch. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Jeb. Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what you been working on? Well, I had to come home from Oshkosh early uh, to, to get out the September issue of Aviation Safety Magazine. It's, uh, in its w- on its way to our subscribers, um, finally. Um, and, um, you know, sitting here basking in the glow of putting another one of those in the can. But um, one thing I did want to mention, Aviation Safety Magazine has a new Twitter account. I saw that, yeah. And uh, this is kind of a, a blag, uh, a plog, a pl- whatever. Yeah. Uh, for all of li- these things, right? All yeah. of these things. To yeah. listeners, pl- if you're a Twitter uh, user, please go on Twitter, uh, Av Safety Mag. Uh, yeah. at, uh, at Av Safety Mag on Twitter. Uh, follow me. Please, mm-hmm. I don't need to get some followers. Brand new account, yada yada. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, later today, over the weekend, I'll be posting some stuff from the September issue, and kind of keep that going. Uh, uh, trying to promote uh, one of my daytime gigs. So, yeah, 
Uh, I, I and I've already followed it. It's, thank you. I, thank you. I, I, I was. I, I have to admit that I hadn't really remembered what the uh, what the, uh, the, the the link was. What the name was? Av Safety Mag. Let me let me let me try this one more. Yeah, it's Av Safety Mag. Av Safety Mag. Because I, I was the reason I, I bring this up is because I was thinking they didn't really get Aviation Safety Magazine. That's way too many characters. That's why we're not. It's, un- it's too many characters, right? Yeah. That's yeah. why we're not uncontrolled airspace on Twitter. That's mm-hmm. why, why we're Class G airspace because uncontrolled. Space was too many characters, and uh, so Ab Safety Mag. I'm already a follower. Everybody should be. I agree absolutely, completely. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, where can people? Other places can you, they find you on the internet, Joe? Well, Burnside J is another Twitter account. So you know, um, uh, Google Chrome and I are having arguments about some of this, but uh, nevertheless. <laughs> um, so there's that. AviationSafetyMagazine.com is the magazine's uh, uh, overall website. Uh, haven't been doing much lately, but hopefully that'll change in the near future. You can always find me on uh, uh, AEA.net at the Aircraft Association. Uh, sorry, Aircraft Electronics Association uh, website and uh, their magazine, Avionics News. Um, you can sometimes find me on AvWeb. Uh, um, uh, it turns out Aviation Safety Magazine is also. Uh, um, I'll put it another way. AvWeb also grabs some of the uh, accident report preliminary accident preliminary reports mm-hmm. uh, and, and posts them on AvWeb from the magazine. Right. Uh, there's also uh, general aviation news for some stuff I've done over the last few years, and I might pop up on uh, uh, Aviation International News from time to time. Uh, Excellent. Uh, that GA News, uh, uh, I guess it is, generalaviationnews.com and ainonline.com. There you go. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer magazine. David, what have you been working on? Give us the short version because I know you're crazy busy after <laughs> Well, a short version would be it'll be out in about a week and a half, and that's my uh, Oshkosh avionics wrap-up story. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the major news on avionics announcements from Oshkosh, that'll be in Avionics News Magazine September issue, which will be out in about 10 days. So, uh, you know, run to your mailbox or your FBO. Uh, and then as my uh, weekly business aviation blog for Al Buyer this week is about the uh, the uh, uh, aviation bill that we were just talking about and how it's kind of following in the footsteps of the civilian pilot training program that uh, Roosevelt signed into law in 1939 to help build up our pilot stocks before World War II. Uh, same philosophy applies, little government help to help industry. So you can find me at avbuyer.com, uh, aea.net. I'm real Higdon on the uh, Twitter machine, uh, or throw a rock. There you go. There you go. There you go. It sounds good. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Um, you. Uh, so I, like I, I alluded earlier to the fact that we posted a new video on my YouTube channel for the. Uh, it was the the raw version of the uh, the the sights during the Sunday morning uh, UCAP episode, and and that's available on my on my YouTube channel. Um, I, I think I mentioned that I'm in the process of trying to edit that down into a highlights video. 
And I'm uh, also working on finally pulling together the uh, video and pictures that I shot when I visited Meigs Field in Chicago about a month ago. And uh, that's uh, sort of a bittersweet little little visit that I made out there to the island and the remaining uh, 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 infrastructure and facilities of that old beloved airport. So that'll be on my YouTube channel. Um, and, uh, and, and just continue to do the podcast and, and other things here. Um, you can find me uh, at YouTube. Uh, youtube.com slash jack hodgson um you can find my around the field books on amazon uh, uh kindle books uh, search in search for the term around the field in the books section of amazon uh on twitter uh i am also jack hodgson uh and you can sign up for my email newsletter and learn more about me than you ever really wanted to know at jack david was there something you wanted to say to us yeah live to be an old part like Jack Jeb and me by uh, spending time in an airplane because, as you know by now, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs>